Welcome to this edition of This is Design Intelligence, conversations with leadership voices in the built environment. This edition is sponsored by the Tricord Group, leading successful relationship constructs for over 25 years, and Vim, helping the architecture and design disciplines design, deliver, and operate better buildings for a better world. Greetings, I'm Dave Gilmore, and this is Design Intelligence. In the studio with me today is Paul Condor. Paul is the leader of a multidisciplinary team of experienced designers at Callison RTKL. Paul has been leading customer experience and experience design for over 25 years, an extraordinary background of intelligence and customer experience has worked on many engagements around the globe. We're excited that Paul joined us in the studio today to talk about what is experience design and what are the responsibilities of its designers. So thanks for joining me. Um, I'm so happy that you're in our studio today. Excited about this. Thanks, Dave. So we're seeing a lot of things happen in the world. We're seeing climate collapse. We're seeing a public health crisis. We're, we're watching people marching in the streets. We're watching a lot of social unrest, and rightfully so in many cases. Where do we land, Paul, in rationalizing human-centric design in a new way? How can we imagine a new way of human-centric design that doesn't land us in this messy place again 10 years from now. What, what do you think about that as a experienced designer who leads a significant group of people for a global firm? What say you about a new responsibility in experienced design? I think what's, what's happened over you know, centuries now, but really accelerated terribly after the Second World War, is that uh, designers are quite myopic. We're very short-sighted. And we tend to just focus on short-term gains. The main goals that you're usually given as a designer involve be reasonably safe and sell more, right? And that's generally the goal. And then there may be some lip service paid to something like, okay, be, you know, try to be sustainable, don't do anything really horrible. That's not good enough. And we need to be able to open up our field of view so that we're taking on bigger questions and bring in other experts to the table other than the traditional designer um, to be able to inform us as far as how to design with a broader field of view in mind. Um, we don't really do that yet. We're getting there. Some firms are getting there. We're working on it. We're pushing as hard as we can. we got some of those experts in-house, but we're not there yet. Uh, we still have a really negative impact on the planet. We do definitely work in places, all designers work in places where there's bias involved. Uh, you, it's hard to do, for example, artificial intelligence without having some level of bias built into it. And so I think our, our, our focus needs to be on how do we get these other voices at the table. The irony of this is that we don't, uh, with this, is that um, the market is ahead of us and some of our clients are ahead of us. They're asking for this stuff. And so design has to change. The human-centric side of it, can be taken two ways. It could either be seen as you're focusing on the individual and trying to interact with them, trying to sell them something, or it could be seen as the greater human population. And I think we need to move to that kind of wider field of view and include the planet and include the ecosystem, um, include society as a whole when we're thinking through how we're interacting with all these things. Now, as a practice leader for an experienced design specialization, what do you look for when you're looking for talent to come and work with you? I mean, is there a resume 
for somebody? <laughs> did, did somebody go to school for an experienced design degree? I, I'm thinking not. I've met you. We've spent lots of time together in a very positive way. You're an odd duck. You bring a, <laughs> you, you bring a lot of value to the table, but it's not it's not linear. It's it's really interesting. What do you look for in talent in this space? Uh, first of all, thanks. Uh, I, when I when I think through the type of, of talents that we need on, on our on our team, there's been a wonderful shift that's happened in the last 20 years. Uh, there's a sort of design hero of mine called Bill Buxton who talks about the idea of building a Renaissance team because the Renaissance man is sort of an old idea. Uh, this idea that you can have one expert that comes in with a vision and has such a broad field of knowledge that they can come in and just deliver this fantastic idea. And that's good enough. And it doesn't work that way. And in the same way that we just had a conversation, we need to open up to other experts and bring them into the conversation to get a wider field of view. That's really how we hire. So uh, we have people with business backgrounds. We have people with digital design backgrounds. We have people with service design backgrounds. And uh, we have researchers. We have uh, people who just sort of live in the analytical field, um, just working with numbers. And if you put all of that together around a table, you get so many different points of view uh, then the designer's role is how do you integrate all that? And ideally, the client and the user are part of that conversation too, so that you're really taking that bigger, broader view and solving problems that don't create massive new problems in some area that you have a blind spot in. And out of that, you wind up having a lot of fun, and it turns into a much more interesting conversation because you're all thinking differently. You're all bringing different points of view to the table. And, and I'm, I'm far more interested in that kind of diversity and then acting as a facilitator of the conversation rather than being the person that has to come up with some sort of grand vision every time out of nothing. Uh, design's really changed, and I think that's where it's gone. Yeah, it's, it's pretty special to open it up and allow new disciplines and perspectives to come to the table. I am a major critic of what I'm seeing in lots of our industry and what I call goosebump design. And it's it's literally called experience design, but I call it goosebump design. It's these giant walls of electronics and cool stuff that is happening and you walk into the lobby or to the to the foyer of a place and go, <gasps> and it takes your breath and you get bumps on your skin and and about the second or third time you walk by you don't notice it because you're you know, like on your iPhone or something. Yeah. And uh and therefore what happens is if you design to that context, you are like, you know, you're like on drugs. You kind of always have to get another hit to raise the experience to get people to look up. And it's it's like very futile at, at the end of the day. It doesn't really leave a moving experience in the lives of people. It doesn't alter us in our thinking, speaking, and behavior. It touches us for a moment, which, of course, is how much of the Internet is designed. And much of our media has now moved to this experiential moment, these flashes of of supposed insight. It's really, uh, I think it's flashes of interest, absent insight. And so at the end of the day, we're becoming a pretty shallow people as a result of that. What what is experience design, Paul? What what really does it encompass? Experience design is about helping big, complex organizations like a big retailer or a healthcare provider or even something at the scale of a government deliver great experiences for their users, their customers, and their staff. Uh, the trick is that even if you're dealing with a simple experience, a really simple thing like buying a cup of coffee. 
uh, you're going to be dealing with a fair bit of complexity to be able to make it work well. Uh, there could be things like a mobile app, uh, picking up in a physical location, you know, queuing up, uh, maybe some face-to-face -face service, and then I'll, usually a whole bunch of operational stuff that's really just there to get you the coffee uh, fresh and at the right time. Uh, if any one of those things is even a little bit out of whack, the whole experience is just going to break. Your coffee is going to come out at the wrong time, uh, or you're just going to be waiting too long or whatever. We're all about trying to tie all that together so that it works seamlessly in a way that people really love it. Um, the benefit in that case would go to the customer, but it also goes to the business indirectly because this experience is actually why people choose one place over another. And we work at scales like that sometimes, but we're also uh, dealing with a lot of bigger scale work as well. Uh, for example, taking on questions like, how could we deliver a healthcare experience that has no waiting, no paper, uh, and no transactions in it? Or how could we deliver a retail experience that is as convenient as an e-commerce experience, but then also has the same service quality of something like, say, Nordstrom? Or how could we create an urban transit solution that incentivizes people to use way less carbon, uh, but still gets you to work on time and you still have a, a, a nice trip? So all this stuff is experience design because the only way that you can tackle these problems is by focusing on the user's needs, uh, understanding them, empathizing with them, understanding what sort of a day in the life looks like for them, and then designing a great experience, something better than what they have now. Then we work with our teams to be able to put together all the digital pieces, the service design, the operations, the physical environment, so things like architecture, urban design, interiors, so that they can all work together to be able to make that experience real and, and come to life for the, for the user. Uh, that's the space that our team plays in. So what are some of the funnest projects that you've worked on that where you got to exercise all of this thinking and collaborative perspective? Um, gosh, when, it, when we put it together, uh, what's, what's a really great example? We had a very fun project that we did here where we worked with a bank, a small community bank that wanted to go from being a sort of old school financial institution with the bulletproof glass in front of the tellers and putting, you know, you put paper underneath the glass and it goes off and gets processed and somebody goes to a safe and brings you money. And they wanted to transform into a digital bank, one where any service could be delivered anywhere and, and you didn't need to have the teller line anymore and you didn't have queues and all that. And they came to us initially and asked, asked us to design the interior of that space. And we said, well, yeah, we can, we can help you with that, but we should also help you with how that experience actually works for the customer. And that's a great example of digital and physical and service all tying together into one thing. And so we created a lab, which was in a licensed bank uh, that had been completely gutted. And the uh, we set it up with sort of mock-up furniture made out of cardboard and sawhorses and things. We deployed all of the technology so that we made sure that that was all running. And of course, there's always things that break there. Got that all worked out. And then we brought in all of the staff to be able to design what the future state service would look like using that technology. We mapped out every single journey that happens in there. We trained up the staff. We got them so that they were really excited about it. And what happened there was not just a transformation for the customer, it transformed for the staff because we created a better experience for them. Or I should say they created it for themselves because it was co-created by their group. And then after they practiced it and role-played it for a while, since it was a licensed bank still, we just opened the doors and customers started coming in and we got their feedback. We saw how it worked. And for about a month, month and a half, this cardboard bank ran and the customers loved it and the staff loved it. 
And it was something that we did in partnership with the with the with the leadership at that at that company. The company's name is Ponce Bank. They're a great little bank in, in New York. And now we're rolling out their new branches. But that's an example of being able to flip something, uh, eliminate a lot of the waste, eliminate the waiting around, eliminate all the paper, and turn it into uh, something that faces the customer and engages them much better and something that they really love. The feedback we got was fantastic. Oh, that's just, that is fantastic. I love the idea of eliminating the waste. We we had, um, at a recent Design Futures Council event, Dr. Gary Kaplan, who is the CEO of the Virginia Mason Medical Center, and one mm-hmm. of his tenets for completely changing and optimizing his healthcare experience was eliminate the waste, uh, the waste of standing around, the waste of paper, the waste of, of broken process, et cetera, et cetera, takes in a lot when you do that. And I love that you folks incorporated that into your methodology. You got another example? Well, actually, I would love to do a hospital um, when you mentioned that. I haven't done one yet, but thinking through end-to-end the experience for healthcare, there's people that work in that space. We've got a great healthcare group here and we're starting to partner with them on a few projects, bringing the ideas that come out of technology and retail and hospitality, which is the areas that I usually play, and bringing that into healthcare, I think is probably the biggest opportunity out there. It's a, it's a notoriously awful experience. It's, it's extremely convoluted, very complicated, very wasteful. It's 20% of the US economy, roughly, a little bit less, when other countries spend half that much. And so there's money in it. There's, there's, a, there's a real reason. There's a real need. And, and the outcome you would see would be fantastic because it's not just a better experience. I think you would actually improve the health of people. So there's, that's a massive opportunity. And I know that our team is looking that way. That's extraordinary that we're spending so much money for a very poor experience. That's yes. isn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, I found out the other day, here's a fun one. A friend, a friend of mine got to work on the uh, new cruise ship by Richard Branson. And and you think about how, how Virgin has changed any of the industries that they go into. They basically look at something that's notoriously bad, like, you know, mobility carriers or airlines or things like that, and just do it a little bit better. Right. And that's a great example of customer experience. Sometimes it turns into some sort of, you know, cool media thing that you see when you're putting on your seatbelt. And it's like this great, you know, video that sort of changed the way the whole industry does it. Or it could be something like how they serve you, or it could be the fact that they could listen to you in the air through social listening and know if you're having a bad flight and make it right at the gate. Right. There's airlines that are able to do that. So there's, there's opportunities everywhere. What if we took that thinking and applied it to these areas like healthcare that really are, are, are rife for change? Mm. Extraordinary things could occur. Yes. You are a Canadian living in one of the Big Apple boroughs. You are a voracious reader. You love vacuuming knowledge everywhere you see it. You're a major observer of everything. What does a guy like Paul Condor do when you're not doing anything? What, what is, what's your hobby? What do you enjoy doing for fun? Uh, I play a lot of music. Uh, I, uh, uh, I play drums, bass, guitar, and so I, I have fun with that. And most most I, people, Paul, when they say I play a lot of music, means they they sit with headphones on their head and and spin discs. <laughs> but you you meant actually really play music? Yeah, I got. Yeah, it. I, 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 yeah, I, I actually play it. It's hard to bring a drum set into your apartment in New York, uh, but <laughs> the uh, um, you know I've got a drum machine now. So uh, and it's a uh, that's a lot of fun, and I also love cooking and I love travel. I really enjoy getting around. And I'm very fortunate that the the job that I've had one way or another over the last 20 years has gotten me to some of the most interesting places and, and, and given me the opportunity to meet some really fantastic and interesting people in my travels. So I count myself as very lucky for that. 
Yeah. What a great career you've had, and we're only part of the way through it. Exciting things ahead for you and for the folks at Callison RTKL as you stride further into this area of pervasive experience design across any domain. It's not limited to a retail customer experience, and we see the discipline that you're exercising becoming essential to so many, many areas that the architecture and design industry is touching. Uh, this is this has been a great conversation. Any parting thoughts for us today? I, I really appreciate it, Dave. Thank you very much for having me. I, I always enjoy connecting with you, so thank you so much. Um, there is one little thing that did that is sort of in the back of my head, just from a, a question that you had for me, you know, a couple back, um, just around the experienced designer's role in in sustainability and creating a positive impact. And I think that there are examples out there when we think of designers being able to actually mediate people's behavior. And I mean that in a positive way. I don't mean, you know, getting you to click on an ad or, you know, getting to scroll deeper into someone's feed or anything like that. The potential is there. And and we've, we've done a few of these projects where you can be very transparent, but you provide incentives and you provide opportunities for people to be able to make choices that benefit the planet and benefit each other and benefit society. And that can be designed. In fact, it can be designed into just about everything. It can be designed into our cities. It can be designed into digital experiences. It can be designed into our vehicles. I've had the opportunity to work with some of these uh, organizations, City of Amsterdam, Ford, where they're they're really thinking this way. And I think that's being brought in by the market. And I want to leave on an optimistic note because I think that design is changing. It's getting better. And as we get younger people bubbling up through the ranks, that the the change is coming where we're not going to be married to production for the commercial benefit of the client, but potentially could be looking at the the benefit of, of everybody. That is just fantastic. Paul, thanks again for joining me on this broadcast of This is Design Intelligence. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of This is Design Intelligence. Sponsored by the Tricord Group and Vim. The producer for This Is Design Intelligence is Laura Spells. Sound engineering by Jared Knabel. This has been a DI Media Group production.